Hey, God, we come uh, to your sanctuary, to this place where we lift you up uh, because you are worthy of our praise. Uh, we pray that uh, as we go forward this morning into the things that we're going to learn from your word and into uh, other opportunities to lift our voices, to honor you, that our hearts would be engaged and our minds would be engaged, uh, that you would meet us in our souls and your spirit would mingle with ours, that we would uh, uh, exercise our, our voices and with all of our strength, give you the glory that you deserve. And then we'd go from here today, God, and we would lift you up in the places that we live and move and have our being. Uh, would you uh, uh, be honored through us, God, as we seek to know and follow you with our lives? Uh, what, what great songs to sing. Uh, thanks that this can be our story, uh, that this life with you can be our song, and help us to praise you uh, all the day long, every day. Uh, God, as, uh, as we reflect on the things that we found in you, um, this love and this hope uh, that goes far beyond anything else we could find in the world, uh, we just, uh, we're so grateful. We're so undeserving, but you are so loving and gracious. Thank you for your, your, your grace to us. We want to um, just give you this time now, God, like I've said. I could pray to you all day long uh, and, and never exhaust the things to thank you for, never exhaust the things to pray you for, praise you for, uh, but we'll, we'll, we'll open your word now and hear from you that way, God. Uh, lead us to truth. Help us to change. Get me out of the way and speak in my place, and I pray it in Jesus' name. Everybody said, amen, have a seat. So great to have you here. Heard some of the fellas singing pretty loud just then. Pretty good, pretty good, fellas. Glad you showed up today. Still saw some of you not, not opening your mouths. I'm going to come visit you during worship time. Uh, we're gonna have a conversation, but that's okay. Uh, hey, if you got your Bibles, we're gonna be in uh, 2 Corinthians chapter nine today. As we continue on in a, a series we started at the beginning of the year called Why We, we are going to take an offering at the end of this service, because last week I forgot to. Is anybody here for that? Uh, it's fitting that we will, because that's what I want to talk about today. I want to talk about why we give. We, uh, we started the series, well, before I get to what we started the series with, uh, 12 years ago, if I got up to uh, preach this message, it would have been a, a, a hand-wringing, sweat-producing experience for me. Uh, I didn't like talking about money with churches. Uh, lots of, of reasons for that, but the main one was I didn't want to be seen as one of those guys who's on TV who's always asking you to send them you know, your money and I'll send you a sweaty towel that I preached into or something like that. Uh, I just didn't want to be seen as someone like that. I didn't want church to be uh, this, this place or this, uh, this environment where it just seems like all they're ever talking about to me is, is what I have to give and what I have uh, or what I should uh, provide uh, in, in terms of, of my money. And, and so uh, this would, 12 years ago, would have been just a, a harder sermon for me. It's not anymore. It's just not anymore. Because I, I've, I've made the connection uh, that surrender, as we talk about it here in, in our, our, our mission statement, surrender touches everything. Everybody read this with me. We exist to surrender to God as he makes disciples through us here and around the world. Uh, we've, we've been talking, uh, you know, essentially through this statement through these last four weeks, and, and we talked the first week about how that, that surrender part's the hardest part of our mission. Because surrender is meant to be this all-encompassing submission to God. It's meant to be this laydown that we do, uh, so that God gets all of us. But if we understand that correctly, then the money thing's not a problem. Because if we understand that uh, the money that we have is God's, 
and that God gave it to us and that it's ours to surrender back to him, not just in the form of offerings or uh, you know, giving to the poor or something like that, but just however he wants us to use it, it's up to him. Well, then it ceases to be this like touchy subject, right? I think uh, people wrestle with it though. I know I did. When I met my wife, Eleanor, uh, we were dating in college and one of our first conversations uh, as young Christians went to the whole giving thing. And you remember this, Eleanor? She was telling me how she was going to give the next week of the church that she was attending the college. I went to a Christian college and managed not to show up at church most Sundays, just so you know. <laughs> and so the fact that she went to church was pretty amazing to me. But the fact that she was a 19-year-old girl giving to a church was like, what are you talking about? You give your money? We don't have much. We're in college. I've come a long way in my own personal understanding of this because in my own personal understanding of this, uh, I get that it's how we're supposed to live, but, but it takes us, for some of us, it takes us some time to get there. I still want to find this picture online because I've told it exists. I haven't found it yet, uh, but uh, there's a story, and I've told you uh, it before if you've been around here for a while. There's a story of a guy who was getting baptized, and uh, in the back pocket of his jeans, he, he remembered he'd left his wallet in there, and all of his cards and everything were in there, and he was the next guy up. So it was one of those churches where they were wearing robes, right, and all that stuff, and you're supposed to kind of cross your hands like this, and the sleeves basically cover your head. So he grabbed his wallet out of his pocket, and he put him inside the sleeves of his robe as he walked down into the baptismal, knowing that if his hand was up here, it was above the water. He wouldn't get it wet, right? <laughs> and so he just, you know, he was faking it pretty good, but then he thought, wait a minute, I've got to go under the water. Everything's going under, my hands too. And so, uh, you know, the pastor's talking to him, and he's saying all these great things about what it is to be baptized and identifying with Christ and, you know, saving grace and all that stuff. And he's not even listening because he's trying to figure out, how do I get this wallet you know, I can't just throw it out in the crowd. You know, I gotta. And so uh, the, the guy says, I baptize you now in the name of the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit. And he goes, starts to go down. And what's the guy do? He's going down. And then just at the last second, whoop, he shoots the wallet up into the air. <laughs> and then as he's popped back up out of the water, he comes right back down, hoping nobody in the crowd had seen. <laughs> Wouldn't that be a great shot? picture to hang in your house. I hope it would be a great reminder to that guy and to anybody else who saw it that this is not how it's supposed to work. When you get baptized or brought into, identified with the saving grace of Jesus Christ, the whole thing gets washed. The whole thing dies to self. The whole thing is, is done. It's not just you and then your money stays above, right? I, uh, I think the reason that we struggle with this it comes from perspective issues. Can I share a couple of them with you? First of all, I think perspective-wise, uh, we, we have this wrong understanding of our, of our stuff in general, but our money specifically. Uh, we see ourselves as the owners of the things that we have. Uh, that's mine. Uh, God's understanding of your very existence and your very life is that you're a steward of it, and it's his. Owners versus stewards. If you're like me, you know, in my early years of, of, of Christianity, if you struggle with this whole giving up of your money, it's because you think it's yours. But what I'll teach you over and over again is that nothing's yours if you're a Christian. Uh, everything is the Lord's. Um, uh, we had some guests over the weekend stay at our house. Uh, and and when, you're, when you're staying at somebody's house, you, you want to treat it 
accordingly because you're a what? You're a guest. It's not yours. So it would be weird if my friend Gary, you know, just came into my room and started rifling through my underwear drawer for a pair to wear, right? <laughs> we'd, we'd have something to talk about there. Hey, bro, I hope you brought your own. And secondly, get out of my room, you weirdo, right? Uh, the, the whole sukasa or mikasa sukasa thing, it can only go so far, right? You can eat my food, you can open my fridge, but stay out of my underwear. Uh, th- this needs to be our mentality when it comes to our money, not the underwear drawer thing, but it's not ours. It's just something I'm holding for somebody. Uh, anybody ever assumed somebody's belongings because you've uh, had it in your garage for a long time? You must not want the saw anymore. It's still not yours. It's just something you're holding for someone else. I was, uh, I was at a, a restaurant recently paying for a, a, a bunch of us to eat food, and um, I wanted to pay with cash, and so I wanted to tip. And I, I, I'm married to a former server. My daughter uh, has worked in restaurants, and so I am uh, I'm a 20% tipper minimum. That's what I have to do. Most of the time, I'm happy to do it. But uh, uh, regardless, I have to do that. And uh, uh, so this one lady did a great job, and I wanted to actually, actually tip her more. And so I had a, a little bit of cash uh, that I was uh, putting on the table. And so uh, I wanted to give her more, but I didn't want to give her a whole $20 more. And so she came over, and I said, hey, <clears throat> if I give you this 20 will you give me a 5 so I can give you a tip? Well, she'd already done the bill. She knew the math. She knew she was making out pretty good here. And so she happily reached into her pocket of all of her tips and hauled out a $5 bill, and we made the exchange, right? How weird would it have been for her to be like, well, no, that's my 20 and just walked away like, oh. <laughs> Anybody think I'm talking to the manager after that one? Because it's not hers until I give it to her. And it's not up to her how much I give her. Because uh, I hold and own the money in that transaction. Uh, you and I are the servants of God. And he's given to us everything that we have, all the money that's in your pockets, in your bank accounts, everything you can think about, IRAs, all that stuff, his. He gave it to you. And when he asks for some of it back, just a portion, it shouldn't be like, no, mine. It should be like, well, of course. And thank you. Thank you for your graciousness and gift to me. David was the king of Israel, and he understood this. He, uh, he rallied uh, the, the nation of Israel to build a temple for God. He, is, he was sitting in his uh, castle one day, his house, and he said, how is it that I have this beautiful house and the house of the Lord doesn't even exist? We need to build him one. And so uh, he, he led one of the first biblical fundraisers. They got everybody involved. And he said, everybody's going to bring their gifts and offerings to the, uh, to the building of this temple, and we'll have this big assembly, a dedication series. He didn't get to actually build it. His son Solomon went on to build it, but uh, uh, he was the principal fundraiser. And at the, at the fundraising banquet, ever been to one of those? Uh, he's sitting with all the big donors. And he doesn't mention one of them. He doesn't point down and say, well, there's Bill. You know, Bill, he, he gave 50000 and... And there's Ted and Mary, and you know Mary and Ted decided to give a hundred. He didn't. There was no plaques. There was no platinum level, you know, sponsorships and all these things that we have in other fundraisers. And he didn't mention any of these people. Here's what he did. 
He says, uh, it says there in 1 Chronicles 29 that David blessed the Lord in the presence of all the assembly. And he said, blessed are you, Lord, the God of Israel, our Father, forever and ever. He goes on and he says, uh, yours, O Lord, is the greatness and the power and the glory and the victory and the majesty for all that is in the heavens and on the earth is yours. Yours is the kingdom, O Lord, and you are exalted and head above all, as head above all. He says, both riches and honor come from who? And you rule over all. This is the king of Israel, by the way. He's not saying I rule above all. You rule above all. He says, in your hand are might and power and power and might, and in your hand is, is to make great and to give strength to all, and he finishes this way. And now we thank you, our God, and praise your glorious name. But who am I? Here's, here's something I want to challenge you with right off the bat here. Every time you look in your wallet, ask that question. Who am I? Who am I that God has given this to me? Because you know there's lots of people in the world with less. Everybody gets that, right? Get on a plane. Come fly with me. I'll show you lots of places in the world. Shoot, get in the car. We'll drive, you know, 45 minutes in lots of different directions around here. We can see lots of people who are working in life with less. David says, who am I? The king of Israel says, who am I? And what is my people? Who are these people? All these big donors sitting on the front tables. That we should be able thus to offer willingly. It's kind of clunky English, but he's like, who, who are we? Who am I that we have anything to give? For all things, he says, come from you, and of your own have we given. Everybody say that last sentence with me. Ready? For all things come from you, and of your own have we given you. Now, sometimes we have a hard time with the given thing because we've got a false perspective on our money. We think it's ours, and it's not. It's his. I'm so grateful that God's grace uh, works this way, you know, that despite our false thinking, he still lavishes us with his goodness, despite uh, us uh, having nothing. The Bible says in Ephesians 2 that we were dead in our transgressions and sins. We had zero to offer, nothing to give, and yet God gives us uh, uh, his love, and he gives us his son most of all. You know, if you want to think about the only thing you truly own, you want to know what you truly own? Your sin. Way to go, campers. You made your sins. Way to go. But even in, the, in, in that area of your life, what does God do? He gives. He gives us Jesus. And through our faith in him, we can be forgiven of our sins. I went to traffic court on uh, Monday. And uh, here's why I went to traffic court. One of my children, who will remain unnamed, uh, ran the red light up at the, uh, at the mall. Got a nice picture of the car going through the intersection with a bright red light on the light. Uh, uh, it got sent to the wrong address six months ago. It happened in uh, July. And so it got sent to the address we had used to live at because that was tied to my registration. Long story. It didn't come to me until December, which uh, I got a, a notice that my license had been suspended. <laughs> yeah, right? Ha Merry Christmas. So uh, <laughs> I, 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 I opened it and I was like, this is impossible. I haven't been pulled over. I haven't had tickets in years. Um, you know, for the most part, I'm a responsible driver. This has got to be a mistake. And so I start calling the clerks uh, down at the county, and, and sure enough, they point me to this website that shows me, my child, uh, driving through this red light. I, I'd already exhausted all the, uh, the allowances that would allow me to put the ticket on them. So I had to go to court, and I had to stand before a judge after waiting two and a half hours, 88 cases, Saunders, end of the alphabet, right? <laughs> 
stood before the judge, and this is what I had to say. How do you plead? Guilty. All right, here's your fine. Go pay it. Now, the story's going to break down a little bit here because my kid's paying the fine, just so you know. (laughs) But I had to sit in the court, and I, like the Son of God, had to stand before the judge, having done nothing, been, in this case, righteous. And just like Jesus, I had to say, I'm guilty. They're not. Put the price on me. Yeah. Everything we have is his. We're just stewards. The only thing we truly own is our sin, and he gives us his grace in lieu of that. Now, another perception that we have, a false perception, is this whole comparison of more and much. Most of the times, when we look at our stuff, what do we say? I want what? More. More. Uh, you know what my first words were? My first word that my, you know, recorded by my aunt and uncle was more. You know what the second was? Chicken. <laughs> I don't know how many months old I was, but I managed more chicken. Apparently we were having chicken that night, and I thought it was pretty good. So uh, wasn't real talkative back then, still am not if I'm not on a stage. And so the first words out of my mouth were more chicken. But my first word was more. Oh, what a setup. Because the rest of my life, I'd struggle with that. I struggle with this idea that I deserve better. I I am entitled to more. I'm an American. I should have what the guy pulling out next to me in traffic has. I should have what my neighbor just got. I, I should definitely be promoted ahead of everybody else in my office. I deserve more. Those two words hold us back in this life with Christ. I and more. See, what we need to do is, is we need to understand or ask the question, not why or why don't I have more? The, the question we should ask is, why do I have so much? Why do I have so much? It's like flipping the binoculars over. When I was a little kid, first time I ever saw a pair of binoculars, uh, I looked through this end. Uh, if you look across the yard in my grandfather's house through this end of the binoculars, everything gets really tiny. I'm like, these are stupid. <laughs> My grandfather came up to me, and he was a patient, loving old guy, and he just kind of laughed. He said, no, buddy, flip them around. There's caps on this, I know, but uh, as you look through this end, everything gets what? I think most Christians need to flip the binoculars because they've been looking at their stuff through the wrong end. I just got a little I don't have as much as someone else. I hear this all the time that people say, if I just earned a little bit more, I'd be more generous. I'd give. Oh, no, no, no. Hey, if you are faithful with, or unfaithful with little, guess what? You're going to be unfaithful with much. You're going to figure out that whatever increase you get is still not enough. And you're still going to want more, and you're still not going to be generous. Learn to be generous with whatever you have. Learn to understand that whatever you have is a blessing. It's a grace that so many other people in the world do not experience. Flip the monoculars. Understand that you have much and quit asking why you don't have more. If I can just push pause real quick, I want to talk to the parents of children in here. Can can you do us a favor for the next generation? Can you teach your kids this, please? I'll try to teach all of us as adults 
that this is the truth, but can you please hammer this into your children? Here's how you do it. Every time they go next door, give them something to give. Teach them to give. We take offerings over there. It doesn't amount to much, but teach them to give. Now, if at all possible, teach them to give from what they've been given. Like if some aunt or uncle gives them 10 bucks for their birthday, change it. Make, make it five, uh, uh, five and, and five once, all right? And then st- stand there with them saying, isn't it great that your aunt gave you 10 bucks? You know why your aunt was able to give you 10 bucks? Because God gave her that money. You know what God wants from us? He wants us to say thank you to him for all the gifts that we give, even if they come from our aunts. And so here's this dollar. You're going to give this dollar from your money next week at church or next week at Awana. Help them to make that, that leap of knowing that they've been blessed. Teach our, our, I'm so fearful for our generation, this next generation of kids, that they're just, everything's automatic. Everything just comes to them. Everything is just, it's, you know, gummy worms all the time, right? <laughs> Let them go without the gummy worms. Teach them that what they have is much and to give is the most logical thing. That's the bottom line. The bottom line is this. Giving is evidence of Christ in us. Uh, if you're a Christian in here, here's why I'm not, I don't fear talking about this anymore. I'm not talking to you so that the church can have. In fact, can I, just, can I just praise us for a second? Because God's done so many great things for us. We're a debt-free church thanks to the generosity of the people sitting in this room. Okay? <clears throat> we are a church that over my time of being here in 12 years, has uh, grown and it's giving so much that our budget now is some 30 to 40% higher than it was when I got here. Uh, we are uh, we're growing in this area. More people are giving. In fact, I'm preaching this, and I'm thinking most of you are sitting here being like, yeah, Mark, I'm on board. I'm, I'm here, okay? I'm, I'm with you. And, and my hope for, who are, for those of you who are already giving is that you'll make that connection. So it, just, so it doesn't become this like rote, you know, I give the church. I want you to always remember why we give. Okay, so if you're giving, figure out why. But if you're not giving, like if you're new to our church, if you're new to the Christian faith and stuff, uh, here's what I just want to remind you. If you're a Christian, you're generous. It's like a, it's like a, it's it's part and parcel. It's it's left sock, right sock. It's it's they go together, right? If you're a Christian, you're generous. You you look at uh, the, the the salvation experiences of the Bible when people experience the saving grace of Jesus Christ, their, their, uh, their immediate reaction is to give, whether it's praises to God or, or, or give good news to other people, let them know about Jesus. Or, I mean, it's just, you just, it, he flows into you and he wants to flow out of you in so many different ways. So if you're a Christian, you're a giver, you're, you're generous, and it, and it flows to that part of you that is monetary, it's money. I mean, even happens specifically in some salvation reports in the Bible, Anybody heard of this guy, Zacchaeus? He was a wee little man, yes. And he, he was like top sinner, like number one with a bullet in his town. He was like, he was the most crooked crook uh, for miles probably. And uh, uh, he was so hated that he hid in a tree just so he could watch the Jesus parade that was coming to his town. And he's hanging out in this tree and Jesus points up in this tree and he says, dude, I'm going to your house. I don't know if he said dude. He probably just said you, I'm going to your house. And everybody was so mad, you can read it there in, in, in Luke 19, everybody was so mad that Jesus was going to go have lunch with the loser. But he does. And, and it kind of skips forward. We don't have the whole conversation between Zacchaeus and Jesus, but Zacchaeus apparently heard the good news. He heard the gospel because a little later, as I'm going to read these verses, you're going to see that salvation came to his house. 
You know what his reaction was? Here's his reaction. Zacchaeus stood and he said to the Lord, Behold, Lord, the half of my goods I give to the poor. And if I have defrauded anyone of anything, which, by the way, he had, uh, I want to restore it, not twice as much, not three times as much, four times as much. And Jesus said to him, today salvation has come to this house. Since he also is a son of Abraham, he's referring to his Jewishness, but he's gone beyond just being a descendant uh, of, of the chosen ones. He is now a true chosen one because his heart has been transformed by the good news of Jesus Christ. And, and he is reacting as someone who was lost and who is now bad. That's what it says there. The Son of Man came to seek and to save the lost. Zacchaeus, lost, greedy, um, uh, hoarding his money, swindling people out of theirs. He meets Jesus, and his immediate reaction is, get it out. Get it out. I want all this money to be used for God's glory. I want to I repay what I've robbed. I want to I be free from the grip. Because that's the biggest thing, right? Either you have your money or your money has you. And, and the Bible speaks clearly on that. Jesus earlier in the book of Luke says this. He says, no servant can serve two masters. For he will hate the one and love the other, or he will be devoted to the one and despise the other. It's really interesting what they do in, in, the, in the language there. That whole hate and love, those are the emotion words. Remember last week we talked about worshiping God with our heart, mind, soul, and strength? That's the heart words. Those are emotion words. And then he says he's either going to be devoted to one or despise the other. Those are thinking words. Those are you like, you know, coming objectively to a situation and say, I choose this, I, I don't choose that. Even in his teaching, Jesus says, hey, I want your hearts, I want your minds I want you to understand that there's no gray in this situation. It's you either worship me and serve me, or if you worship stuff or the stuff that uh, you know, money can bring, uh, you're divided. You gotta pick. Now, who's, who's grateful that God still gives us money? Is anybody grateful that God still gives us money? He's not wanting to make every Christian poor. There's some strands of the faith that actually believe that's what was supposed to happen. Get rid of everything. No. God just doesn't want you to be owned by what you own, by what you have. He just wants you to be a steward of what he's given you. He wants you to see that everything you have is a grace, it's much, and quit asking if you can have more. So, with the time I have left, I want to go to 2 Corinthians and encourage us a little bit more in this area of generosity, of giving. I want to answer this question, how should we give? And to do that, I want to uh, tease out what Paul says here in one of my favorite texts in the entire scriptures on giving. Uh, in, in chapter 8, uh, Paul's talking to these uh, Corinthians, who, by the way, are kind of a messy church, all right? If you read the letters to the Corinthians, they had some issues. And uh, <laughs> Paul was constantly, actually wrote them four different letters. We only got two of them here, but he refers to two others. And he just kept uh, writing to these guys because they needed writing to. They needed to be reminded of this whole Christ life that they're supposed to live. Um, and they struggled. Why? Because Corinth was kind of an epicenter of business and, and culture, and, and there was all kinds of things distracting these early Christians from what they were supposed to do with Jesus. Now, they were kind of like American Christians. They'd, they'd run hot and cold. They'd get excited and then kind of like, eh. And so Paul had to, had to constantly be pushing them and shoving them and, and encouraging them to move forward in their Christian faith. And one of the areas that he wanted them to move forward in was giving. Apparently he had talked to them about giving an offering, a, a big offering that would basically uh, help support all of the other churches that Paul had been a, a partner with. 
And uh, Paul was especially concerned for the church in Jerusalem because they were just getting pummeled. They were getting on both sides. The Jews hated them. The Romans hated them. And they just needed an, uh, a support uh, that the monies that other churches could raise could provide them. So in chapter 8, if you want to read it, uh, Paul uh, tells the story of the Macedonian churches and the generosity of the churches there. If you read in your Bibles, uh, you won't read a, a letter to the Macedonians, but you will read a letter to the Philippians. And Philippi was in Macedonia at the time, and he's referring specifically to this church in Philippi, who, by the way, were po-po-po. They didn't have any money. And they actually gave, uh, not just out of their, uh, their increase or out of their excess, they gave uh, from, from what was just their, I need this to live. And they trusted God to provide for them. And Paul lauded their offerings and was so excited. And you know why he was uh, telling us to the Corinthians? Because the Philippians gave their offering after hearing that the well-to-do Corinthians were going to give theirs. Paul had reported to them. The Corinthians had already decided to give this offering to support the, the churches in trouble. And so the Philippians were like, well, the Corinthians can do it. We can do it. And the Holy Spirit started running through them, and generosity grew in them, and they just blew it out the doors, man. They gave beyond, right? So now Paul, skip to chapter 9, comes to the Corinthians, who haven't given their offering yet. And he's going to have a little discussion with them. Here's how it goes. He says, it's superfluous for me to write to you about the ministry for the saints, what we've already talked about, for I know your readiness. I know you're ready to give. Uh, I, I boasted about it to the people of Macedonia, saying that Achaia, or Achaia, which is the region that Corinth is in, it's like the county, Brandon, Hillsboro, you with me? Uh, uh, that, that you guys, essentially, have been ready since last year. Remember we talked last year about you giving this offering? I told everybody in Philippi about that, and they gave theirs already. But it's been a year. He says, your zeal has stirred up uh, most of them. Apparently not everybody in Philippi gave but a lot of them did. He says, but I'm sending the brothers so that our boasting about you may not prove empty, so that everything we told the Philippians won't be a lie, uh, so that you may be ready, as I said you would be. Uh, otherwise, verse 4, if some Macedonians come with me and find that you are not ready, i.e., you're not giving, uh, we would be humiliated. You'd make us liars, Paul says of him and his team. Uh, to say nothing of you being seen as liars uh, for being so confident that you would give this offering. So I thought it necessary to urge the brothers, his friends, uh, to go on ahead of you, the deliverers of this message, and to arrange in advance for the gift that you have promised so that it may be ready as a willing gift and not as an exaction. See there, it's not a bill. I don't want to be collecting on some bill. Uh, I want to uh, join with you and see you follow through with this offering. Uh, that you pledged to give. Now, the, some of the most famous verses in the scripture about giving are next, and uh, I want to answer that question why we should give, or how we should give, and the first thing that we're going to see Paul say here is that we should give generously, lavishly. It's going to say here in the English Standard Version, bountifully. Let's read it together. It says, uh, the point is this, so Paul summarizes. The point's this, whoever sows sparingly will also reap sparingly, and whoever sows bountifully will also reap bountifully. Anybody heard that one before? Let's go to the garden, all right? There's a garden right out back here. If you ever want to farm, you can farm right here on our property. Have some fun. But if you've got your 8 by 12 plot, 
and uh, you decided that you were going to plant some stuff, you have some options there. You can plant a bunch of stuff, or you can plant like three things. Like, imagine, <laughs> imagine we're all going to plant zucchini, and I walk up to everybody, uh, uh, or one of the farmers out there does, and takes a big scoop of zucchini seeds and pours it out in the front of your shirt so you have to hold it like this, and then you go through your garden plot and go, one, two, three, done. You're going to be eating a lot of zucchini in a few months? No, not a whole lot's going to come from three plants. Good math there, kids. Way to go. Yeah. Now, what if, what if it goes to another one of you, and you're like, zucchini? I love me some zucchini. And you take your shirt, and you start just, waka, waka, waka. You're throwing it in your plot, in their plot. It's out in the, in the, in the you know, retention pond. We got zucchini everywhere, right? And you come back in four or five months, I mean, it's zucchini bread for months, right? We're just, I don't need to do the math for you there, but what's he saying? He's saying, hey, listen, if you're going to give, go for it. Go for it. I get so tired of people coming up to me saying, uh, you know, questions like this, should I tithe? And I, no, I shouldn't say it, I'm tired of it. I'm happy to talk to you about it. There. <laughs> <clears throat> happy to talk to you about it. Much has been made of this tithe. If you haven't read the Bible, the Old Testament talks about a tenth being brought into the storehouse there by the nation of Israel, and it's been carried over. Uh, in most churches, the tradition is, if you're going to give, you know, the tithe is a good idea. It's a biblical principle of giving. Uh, first fruits, all that kind of stuff. Uh, but, but when people come to me and they ask how much they should give, should I give a tithe, should I give less than a tithe, should I give more than a tithe, um, not always, but most of the time, my sense in those conversations is that somewhere subconsciously in that question is, what's the least that I have to give? I mean, how much should I give so that I can feel righteous but not have to go further? Now, if, if, if you've asked me that and you're like, oh, I asked him that. I'm not condemning you. I'm not saying that's how you felt. But I, my, my sense has been in my own life that when it comes to the question of giving, my question about how much I should give is usually backdropped by how much can I keep. And if you remember what I was talking about earlier, I think that's the binoculars flipped around. I'm not seeing this right. Now, I'm not telling you. Well, here, here's what I told everybody last night. Here's my new commitment. When people ask me how much I, uh, they should give, I'm going to say all of it. <laughs> all of it. Because what does the Bible say? Bring it all. Surrender it all, man. Let's start, let's start with everything and work from there. But what most people start with is zero and work from there. Holding a tight grip on all that God has given them. No. God says, hey, man, knock yourself out. Go crazy. And just watch, and we'll get to that in later verses, but just watch. If, you're, if you just faithfully give and you're just trusting me with a, with a crazy gift like that, just watch and see how I replenish the store. Now, when we first moved here, one of my uh, 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 relatives was um, going through a, a particularly tough time and uh, their, their tax bill came due, and they didn't have the money to pay it. And so uh, it came to my knowledge uh, that that was happening, and so Eleanor and I decided to pay this tax bill. Uh, it was in the thousands, right? Um, and we just felt like that's what God wanted us to do. And so we paid one of our relatives' tax bills. Can I just tell you that over and over again, uh, God has brought an increase from that? 
Now that, that, that when we gave for Rise Ups, I've told you this story some of you before, uh, we gave, we, we decided to give, and this is not, uh, but this, this, this is just the story of, of giving. That we decided to give something that if you had asked me in college if I would ever give that much to anything, I would have told you you were crazy. But if you've heard me tell the story, the first Christmas that we were in to Rise Up, another one of our relatives gave us a Christmas gift uh, that had five figures in it. Like in a card at Christmas. Never happened before, hasn't happened since, I keep praying, right? <laughs> but I can't tell you the joy, even the relief, because we had pledged this number that I thought was just ridiculous and stupid. And then on Christmas morning that Christmas, I opened this card and I'm like, well, there it is. I'd never been more happy to go to church the next Sunday and put a check in the, in the, in the can because guess what? It didn't come from me. I agreed to give what you know, could be determined as a bountiful gift. And God said, perfect, because I'm going to give you what you've deemed or decided to give. Give lavishly, not foolishly. Uh, well, I'll, I'll move on, but let's keep going. So we want to give bountifully. We should give thoughtfully. Look what it says next here in these verses that we all know. Each one must give as he has decided in his heart, not reluctantly or under compulsion because God loves a cheerful giver. Let's talk about that whole uh, as he has decided in his heart. This, this is forethought. What, what, what Paul's basically saying is that when it comes to this big offering that we're going to offer together as a Corinthian church, think about it. Pray about it. Decide on it. Determine what God wants you to give and then give that. Now, as we move forward from this story of this Corinthian offering, I think throughout the ages, 2,000 years of church history, when it comes to Christians and giving, it should be thought out. It shouldn't be a, a reaction. So often when offering plates uh, have gotten passed, I think, in churches, people are like, oh, yeah. And they fumble around and they, and they you know, uh, they throw in the whatever's in their wallet. Or when the month happens, okay, and everything happens in a month that can happen, and then it comes time to give to God. It's like, oh, yeah. I probably shouldn't have spent the weekend at the beach. You know, here's a five, God. Or, you know what I'm saying? It becomes this, this reactionary thing. And God wants us to be premeditated and, and planned. He wants us to, to think about what we're giving and, and to give accordingly. He wants, here's how I'll put it. He wants us to give uh, uh, thoughtfully, regularly, all right, uh, as a matter of first priority, the scriptures teach a ton that, that the, uh, the gifts of the, of the children of God need to be first fruits. Now, that's why, by the way, I, I, I and Eleanor choose to use our online giving. If you go on our website, there's a way that you can give online, and it, it just uh, you know, comes from your checking account or uh, from a credit card or something like that, and you can, you can give online. Some people look at that and like, oh, bad form. Uh, and, and, and listen, if you want to come to a church uh, room like this and give it a plate like we've always given, hey, have at it. Write your checks. I don't even have a checkbook anymore. I don't even know where it is, right? But if that's, if that's how you roll, do it however God leads you to do it. But here's why we like the online giving thing, okay? It's, it, it, it helps us do what we were just talking about. It helps us to be thoughtful, all right? We've determined every time that we give, it's going to be this amount. Uh, uh, it's going to be regular, it's going to happen on a consistent basis. Uh, it, it, for us, it's set up just as our checks are hitting our bank account. So our checks hit our bank account, and then the next day, the money comes out of our bank account, and it is our first fruits to, to our God. Now, every year, as we, uh, if, if salaries increase or our finances change or whatever, uh, we reevaluate and we set our giving up accordingly. 
But we set it so that we can honor God first on a regular basis, having thought out what he's wanting us to do. Many of you take advantage of this. You don't have to. But regardless of what your avenue is, what your uh, you know, method of giving is, it should be thoughtful. Are you with me? Thirdly, it's this. <clears throat> we should give willingly. We should give lavishly, generously. We should give thoughtfully. We should give willingly. Look what it says at the end of uh, chapter seven, 9, verse 7. It says, each one must give as he decided in his heart, not reluctantly, begrudgingly, not under compulsion, gun to your head, for God loves a cheerful giver. All right, so let's talk about this. <clears throat> let, me, uh, let me, first of all, uh, help us understand the difference between uh, compulsion and reluctance and discipline. Every time you give, should you be like, yeah, uh, preferably, sure. That would be great. But have you ever given to something kind of worried, kind of wondering, kind of like, wow, this is going to be tighter than I thought. Um, I think discipline uh, is, is something that God's asking for here. Uh, but of course he wants us when we give, to give with that attitude, that mindset, that we've been given much, that we've been given so much that it's just a little bit that we're giving back, whatever he's determined in our hearts to give. He doesn't want us to give because it's a bill. Because, uh, you know, somehow he's going to love us more if we give this money. Everybody gets it that love, God's love for you is spiked. Can't get any higher. Everybody gets that, right? Uh, he, he doesn't want us to give so that uh, we can uh, feel better about ourselves or, or feel like we're giving as much as someone else. Uh, he doesn't want us to give uh, uh, because uh, we don't want to look bad to others. He doesn't want us to give so that we can get the shine, either in our personal lives. You know, I've had guys come up to me and talk about, um, through the history of this church and other churches, how much they're able to give. And, and while I'm grateful that they're able to give the monies that they give, I feel like they're uh, feeling pretty good about themselves for being able to give. And somewhere in there, we've got to make some distinctions. We need to give willingly, but not so that we can uh, uh, be lifted up. For, just, just so you know, if, if people ever give here, we're not putting your name on a building. Everybody hear that? Some of you are like, well, I'm not giving now. Darn. All right, but, uh, uh, but that's not what we do around here. If, if, uh, if you grew up in, a, in, a, in a, an age 200 years ago in America, here's what would happen. You'd come into your church. Most churches did this. You were coming into the church, and your name would be on a register out in the, in the, in the foyer or out in the narthex or whatever it was called back then, and, and your giving from last week would be by your name. Who wants to start that here? Anybody want to start that? That'd be fun, right? Um, and so that would kind of make it competitive. But then if, you, if something was put in the church, maybe you grew up in churches like this, like if a pew was added to the sanctuary, the person who paid for the pew would have a plaque uh, at the end of the pew arm, and that would be their pew. Like you could get box seats at the church because you paid for them. Now, did you know that Methodism, who grew up Methodist? Anybody? Anybody grew up Methodist? You guys got started because uh, most of the mainline churches of America at the time uh, weren't allowing poor people in. Uh, so in England and in America, John Wesley started uh, forming these like under tree churches so that the poor people could have a place to worship because they couldn't afford to buy their own box seats in the churches of the day. Yeah, uh, we're just not going to be a church that uh, makes a fuss about givers. We're going to be a church that makes a fuss about a God who gives. So, 
We don't give for the other things, the, the side benefits or the side reasons uh, that we could uh, you know, benefit from, whether it's relieving our consciences or... Now, here's, here's one. Sometimes people give so they don't have to do the other stuff in the church that the guy gets up and preaches about all the time. Like, I give my money. I'm not going to go serve with kids or serve with this or serve with that. It's like that Little League mentality. Did you know if your kid's in Little League, uh, everybody's supposed to take a turn in the snack shop? But if you've got enough money, you can pay... Uh, for the entire season, a certain amount of money so that you don't have to work in the snack shop. So guess what happens with all the kids' parents who don't have that money? They end up working for you in the snack shop because you stroked the check. I loved that. Oh, it's good. Anyway, <laughs> I did it one season. Anyway, uh, <laughs> probably shouldn't have said that. Uh, but that's what happens in the church sometimes is people say, well, my, you know, my thing to do is to give. So, and, and, and they don't finish the sentence, so I don't have to do anything else. No. Surrender is complete. It's in every area. It's not you get to pick and choose. It's not, you know, a cafe, cafeteria, where you're like, I'll do this one, but not this one. And You do all of it. Why? Because everything you got is God's. And your whole life, if you're a Christian, is about giving him you so that he gets the glory he deserves. Let me answer one more question before we sing some more. One more time, why should, why should we give? If you haven't picked up what I'm putting down, this, this might help us. It's kind of clunky English, but here's what it is. We give because God has given so that we might give. Um, I think this is a, a biblical principle. If you have more than you need, it's because someone is in need. Did you hear me? If you have more than you need, it's because someone or something that can help someone is in need. Uh, hopefully I've established that most of us in here have way more than we need. Uh, we shouldn't look at what we have as less or, or not enough. We should look at it as much. And if we have much, then we've been given much because others in uh, our midst need and, and we're here to provide for them. We're here to provide, uh, more, more importantly, or as, as important, probably more importantly, we're here to provide for the, the, the mission of God, of making him known uh, through the work of his church. Look what it says here. Paul uh, finishes uh, in 2 Corinthians chapter 9, uh, saying this, and God is able to make all grace abound to you. If you're kind of worrying about the gift that you might bring, Corinth, uh, just remember, God is able God is able. He'll restore. He'll replenish. He'll make the grace abound. So that you, having all efficiency in all things at all times, you may abound in every good work. You can, you can give. You can serve. You can, you can live your life for Jesus, knowing that he'll give you what you need to do so. Verse 9, he says, as it is written, he has distributed freely. Uh, he has given to the poor, and his righteousness endures forever. Verse 9. Go to verse 9. There it is, yeah. He has, this is a quote from the Old Testament. But here's what it says. It says he is freely distributed. He's given to all of us all that we have. And, he, and, and then he says something really interesting, that God has given to the poor. Isn't that interesting? Has anybody heard about the heavenly welfare system? I haven't heard of that. Have you heard of that? That God like strokes checks to the poor? He just sends them directly from heaven. It's like some kind of you know, ethereal bank up there. And it just, is, that, is that what the scripture is saying? How does, how does God provide for the poor? Everybody train your necks. Look around. Everybody look around. Are you seeing other people? 
you know how God provides for the poor? Us. He makes deposits with us so that we can be used to make a difference in his world. Verse 10, and then we'll sing. He who supplies seed, he's picking up the farm thing again. He who supplies seed to the sower and bread for food will supply and multiply your seed for sowing and increase the harvest of your righteousness. If we had more time, I encourage you to read the rest of the chapter. He goes on and he ends his little uh, part of this letter with exclamation points. It's one of those statements where he says, you know, um, well, can we just skip down to the last verse real quick? I know the van's coming out, but I, I got six seconds, so I'm going to use them. Um, <laughs> keep going. Yeah, this is how he ends. Thanks be to God for his inexpressible gift. If you read the verses before this, uh, he just talks about how the gifts of Corinth are going to make a difference in the lives of the people around them, that the lives of the people around them will be forever changed by the grace of God because Corinth just got off its keister and said, we'll give. And, and if, the, if the Greek would hold it, there'd be like, ever, ever do this when you're texting someone? It's like 58 exclamation points at the end of a text because you're so excited about whatever's going on. You got all the emojis going and their hands clapping and, you know, the, the smiley faces yelling and stuff like that. That's how Paul would end this verse talking about giving. He's like, oh, I'm so excited for you to give, Corinth. I'm so excited for you to understand what you've been given by God and to be unleashed in your generosity because it's going to make a huge difference in you. It's going to make a huge difference in the people whose lives are going to be affected because of the gift. It's going to make a difference for eternity because you finally got it and you finally gave. I'm so grateful for the many of you. I'm looking out at the faces of my family here. So many of us are, are generous, we're givers. I'm so grateful for that. Always remember why you give. You've been given much. God gave to you so that you could give. But if you're here this morning and you don't yet understand this, you're missing a huge chunk of the picture of this life with Christ. You were saved by a giver, by one who gave selflessly so that you might live. And you've been saved so that you could be a giver and you can enjoy a life of serving God and his people. So now we're going to take the offering. <clears throat> and I don't want you to give if it's under compulsion. Don't give because he just preached on giving. Give because the Holy Spirit is leading you to give whatever you give. As we go on from week to week, you give regularly, thoughtfully, willfully, cheerfully. But you give because you've been given. Let's pray. God, thanks so much for a chance to offer this offering to you. We're going to give this, uh, this, this monetary uh, set of gifts. We're going to give our, our gifts of praise to you now. We're going, to, we're going to do it because you have given us all that we have. You have made us all that we are. You are. You're worthy. You're worthy, God. Thank you. Thank you for all that you've given us. And take these gifts so that eternity can be impacted through them. Use them for your glory. Use us for your glory. Hear our praises and see our praises now. And I pray it in Jesus' name. Amen.